Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Would you please address the specifics of why someone whose addiction includes porn and serial infidelity that is primarily based in masturbation while sexting, camming, exchanging pics should stop solo masturbation, at least in early recovery? Well, it's like the, and I've actually heard this, it's like the alcoholics that are going, oh, I'm just going to drink this or, oh, I'm just going to smoke cannabis now because, you know, like my problem is alcohol. It's not this, um, any of this stuff. So, so let's start talking about, I mentioned dopamine a minute ago. Any of that is still going to trigger the, the dopamine. Dr. David Fawcett does a great job talking about, you know, smoking and vaping. We're a non-smoking, non-vaping facility because otherwise, guess what? That dopamine stays online. So, so if this person actually really wants to change, it's stopping all problematic behaviors, you know, that, I mean, it's, it isn't just stopping the most problematic. I know some people get into the harm reduction and it's like, oh, that one's the worst. But if they're all keeping that dopamine going, guess what? Then it's just the cycle of like, well, I'm not doing this now, but I'm going to do that. I kind of call it the garbage can um, uh, addiction where I can't do this, so I'm going to do that. And now I can't do that one, so I'm going to do this. And so I'm going to do whatever is available, not my favorite is this, but you know, that one, oh, I promised I wasn't going to do that or whatever, or I can't, you know, I'm at work. And so I, you know, I can't, you know, go, I can't leave the building or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I think, and I think it's, I go back to the person that asked earlier too, you know, the husband still wants to do this to erotic stuff. It, what is the goal? Is the goal to be happy, joyous, and free, which is what we're promised, you know, through a 12 step programs if we actually do recovery? Or do we want to keep hanging on to some behaviors because they might come in handy? And I can't imagine really giving up everything, which just leads to the, you know, ongoing spinning and cycling. I hear often from people who, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really ready for treatment. I can't do that yet or whatever. And then they call me six months later and things are worse. And I, you know, I'm like, well, you know, of course, of course they get worse. You know, if you don't change, then things continue to spiral out of control. You hurt more relationships, you lose a job. You know, some people have, you know, with porn, they downloaded an image and the FBI shows up on their doorstep. I mean, Things get worse, but in our attic brain, we pretend that they won't. So, um, so, and I don't know if this is this was written from the loved one or the addict, but if let's say it's from the addict, if you want to change, if you want to have life differently, you know, um, I still go to 12 step meetings and, you know, if you're willing to, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, you need to do what you need to do. So, so Dr. Rob in the answer, we talked about, would you please address the specifics of why someone whose addiction includes porn and serial infidelity 
that is primarily based in masturbation while sexting, camming, exchanging pics would should stop solo masturbation, at least in early recovery. So what are your thoughts on that one? I think this is a question about um, what defines sex addiction on some level and how do you how do you figure out what is healthy and what is not? And I think that someone cannot figure out whether they're an alcoholic or not and really understand it if they're still drinking wine. You know, they can be drinking whiskey and vodka and, you know, whatever it is and, and decide to stop that and just drink wine. And the problem is, is that they need to experience themselves without any of that, at least for a period of time. Um, it's amazing how many people come in to see us while men in the program and they say porn is my problem. You know, that's the issue, porn. But they don't mention or don't see that the seeing the sex workers and going to the strip clubs and hanging out in the massage parlors are part of the problem because they are only looking at the part that got them in trouble <laughs> or they're only looking at the part that seems to be an issue, but they're not looking at all of their sexuality. And I think the only way to really address that and pick out the healthy pieces from the non-healthy pieces, unhealthy pieces, is by really stopping for a period of time and then beginning to pick those out. I also can say briefly as a sex addict, that I had spent so many years, um, and here you have serial infidelity, being seductive. You know, everywhere I went, what, what, a lot of how I lived in the world was, is someone going to want me? Are they going to desire me? That's how I decided what to wear during the day. That's how I decided what kind of clothes to buy. That's how I decided what gyms to go to was based on who would desire me the most. And to put all of that down meant that I just had to look people in the face or look down. But I was, no, with complete sobriety, I wasn't dipping into that well at all. And I got to learn who I was in the world when I wasn't dressed seductively. When I wasn't, I got to see that because I wasn't acting out at all. So bottom line is I don't, Tammy, didn't we just, we just worked with someone who said basically um, that, that there were drugs that, they, that were being used, but that they weren't being, they weren't a problem, therefore they weren't part of sobriety. And it doesn't really matter whether that particular thing is causing a problem or not. Um, anyway, I'm going to hand that to you because you're you're going to. No, I already I talked about it, but yeah, including yeah, like, like smoking, vaping, vaping and everything. everything. So, it's like, so it's like at the end of the, the day, what do you really want? want? And if you and want, if to, want continue to continue to be an active addiction, you're going to keep doing all of those little things that keep you from being able to be happy, joyous, and free. So, okay. Next that question. That's a lot easier answer than mine was. <laughs> okay, so the next question. As a betrayed spouse, my main emotion is intense anger. I'm mad at so much. D-Day was a year ago. Disclosure, a couple months ago. What should or can I do to process my anger? What I don't hear, like, and I get this. This is, you know, um, and, well, so here's the thing I figured out in my journey was for me, um, anger was useful because what I really felt was hurt and I hate feeling hurt. And so, so I, I liked anger cause it was an outward thing. Um, um, and I'm not saying you like anger, but, but it just like, it took me a while, a uh, big shock to understand that if I was angry and intense, including rage, like that was an outward and power and then I didn't have to feel the horrible hurt. And so, so one of the things I had to learn to do was be okay with, you know, experiencing the hurt. I, you have grief, you have loss, you have hurt. 
I don't know what, you know, you said you went through disclosure. So I'm presuming that you have a qualified support therapist that you are working with. And, and it is, you know, it is digging through the, the grief and the loss, you know, Dr. Rob mentioned, and this can happen too, that those layers get, you know, kind of crunched together. So, so when you feel, when you're feeling this, you know, intense pain, you know, it's tapping into something um, deeper, you know, um, so here's another thing. This feels like overshare Tammy night, sorry, um, but but hopefully at some point it's useful. So, so one of the things that I discovered on my journey was that um, if I was feeling really angry, I used to have this thing that I called my white hot, my white hot rage, and it felt like it came out of nowhere. And what I learned was a it was hurt, but b it really was an abandonment wound. I had this wound. And so I learned with a very good therapist how to go back and help support the young girl who felt abandoned at a certain age. I mean, like I did, I did the work and I, I have to tell you that for that issue, because um, the white hot rage was not serving me well. And, and once I did the work on that, um, including some EMDR, but, but which is, um, trauma therapy, if you guys haven't heard that. But once I did that, I, I have not ever experienced that again, like in that form. Do I get angry? Sure. Um, but, but not that rage that was, that, that was, I knew it was hurtful to me, but, um, but it also kept me distanced from people. Like there was a situation where, you know, it came up and, you know, like, like I made myself distant from other people because I was afraid that what I would say or do would be really hurtful to relationships that I cared about. And, you know, and like analyzing the situation, I know exactly what happened. You know, I felt, you know, I felt alone and abandoned and, and everybody else was together and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, having the gift of being able to look at that differently. So, so a long winded answer for it's uh, it's addressing you know what what what's going on underneath the ang the anger is real and sure your whole world has been thrown up i'm not diminishing that at all um but but i also hear you wanting to move through it how do i process my anger you know it is it is owning it but also looking at what's underneath it you know what what is this you know picking into and you know if there's some specific you know trauma that is bumping up against you know, can you do some, you know, EMDR um, processing? I've also heard about brain spotting. I haven't done it yet. I actually want to, um, but you know, brain spotting sounds like a more focused, you know, aspect of dealing with, you know, something it's like EMDR, you know, um, extra, you know, so, so there may be some ways to process through that. Eddie Caparucci did um, uh, a webinar and kind of talked about, it, you know, if you're hanging on to things. So, you know, how can you learn to let go, uh, you know, of the anger, you know, and process it differently? I think a lot of it is what, what does this mean to me? What is it really um, bumping up against? So hopefully that's somewhat helpful. Okay, next question is, um, oh, let's see. I just lost it. Oh, here it is. As uh, how do you deal with being 
oh, disgusted by sex addiction husband at times. It's just like sometimes I feel sick to my stomach from him touching me. I don't want to be this way, but I can't stop it. Is there anything I can do to get away from this? I would invite you to be in the, he has to ask you before he touches you. Like this feels like it's way too early that you guys are not in the, we can do this yet. Um, uh, of any form of touching. I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, what kind of touching, but you know, it, it like uh, early on and until there is trust and until you feel safe and not disgusted, like it should be, it, well, should, I don't want to use should and should. I would, I would encourage you to consider it be, you know, the deal is, you know, I need for my safety, for my boundaries. Um, if you want to touch me, if you want to hug me, if you want to, whatever, um, uh, the, the I, I need you to step in and ask, you know, ask before you touch. Cause then you can go, yeah, I won't feel good about this. Um, it's feeling manipulative or whatever. Um, so I would, I would invite you to have a strategy where you say, I need some space with that. So, um, topic of ADHD since he left with it. So Dr. Rob, um, had already addressed the ADHD. So please, so, I, so probably no, but please do. Um, so somebody's asking in the chat, you're muted. If you can collaborate more about ADHD, I gave them both Dr. Todd Love's podcast with you and the webinar, and you uh, had already mentioned like 20%. So do you have anything else to go back on that topic? Well, just really quickly is that I'm married to someone who has ADHD. And for the first three or four years of our relationship, neither one of us knew that. And so my husband would come home and he would start the dishes and then he'd leave them all over the place. And he'd take his clothes uh, off for the evening and they'd be in a trail behind him. And then there, you know, he'd start dinner and then forget half of the, in other words, he would go from thing to thing to thing. And for me, I grew up in a kind of icky house. So for me, a clean home is really important. And he knows that. So when the dishes kept piling up in the sink and the laundry kept sitting around in a trail and I started to get really angry, like, if you loved me, mm -hmm. you would do these things. If you loved me, you would, un because it came tied to, you understand this is important to me, you cleaning up whatever it is. And even if you don't want to, you're doing it for us, for me. And I can see that our relationship got to the point where we really had to look at this. And what we found out was he had ADHD. And so when he went on medication, all of a sudden, he remembered that he hadn't finished the dishes. All of a sudden, he saw the trail of clothes. And it was really, um, it's amazing when something is so medical and you really see the difference. It saved our relationship. And just to say to any of you who have this issue, there's some really good books on how to live with or love someone with ADHD or ADD. And they talk about how to, how to, how to support each other with finding things or losing things or finishing projects. You know, I have to say this time, you don't know this about John. And I forgot about it really over all these years, but I can't tell you how many projects he started that he didn't finish, how many things he bought, like, oh, let's get those roller skates or, oh, let's get that. And then did it for a few weeks and never did. And I would say, boy, you just like to spend money. And, you know, then you drop, it's like, it was a personality thing. And it was really an ADD thing. Like, oh, that looks good. I'll do that. Oh, no, no, that looks good. I'll, and it is the nature of the disorder. So anyway, maybe some folks learned from that. It was very pow powerful for me in my life. Well, and that it's not, yeah, I th think that, you know, it's not personal to you, you know. Uh, well, so, everything. You, <laughs> no, 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 but, you know, I mean, 
I, I have mild ADHD, so I kind of can do all of that too. And, you know, my husband is very, he's very main, he's middle of the world. He's just really stable. And so, you know, I can do this now in recovery. I do this in addiction. I was all over at the Mm -hmm. ends of the pendulum. So, you know, but, and, and, uh, you know, and I don't need medication. I was low enough grade. I don't need that, but, but I had to learn tools and tricks to be able to, you know, complete things, you know, because if something has my attention, it really has my attention. If it's like, yeah, you know, it's harder to, it's harder to dig in and focus. So Tammy, you, I've never known you to have one thing, have your attention, mostly seven or eight things, attention. but let's go back to our work. Okay. Okay. So um, my family have noticed my wife is depressed, feeling down and have started asking questions. Is it a good idea to tell them I cheated on her and we are working things out? Um, okay. So I think that there could be no worse thing than to go up to someone uh, who is unexpecting this and or is not expecting something like this and to drop it on them. I think if you want to devastate someone that you love, um, it's not just what you did, but, but it's the respect or the way you show the beginning of talking about it. And the other thing is that once, you know, what if she has a little depression? What if she has a little anxiety? What if she's not seeing a therapist? What if she needs support and it's not there? You know, I have seen spouses, you know, I don't mean to say this so directly to any of you, but not want to live after they found this out. And so, and the other pieces that will make, and you do need to talk about it at a certain point. This is absolutely something I would do with a professional, um, especially if there's already issues coming up and the questions are coming at you. Um, by the way, she already knows something and she is trying to trust her own feelings. I talked to you guys before. She's pressed down and she's asking questions. That means she already has a sense that something isn't right and it's related to this. So, you know, you got to get to a professional and get to work. Um, yeah, Tammy. Oh, one more thing. The person who cheats, when we tell you everything, we feel so much better. Oh my God, I got that off my chest. And now it's not a lie and it's not a secret. Of course, we've knocked you to the floor, but we feel a sense of relief because we're not carrying secrets around anymore. So, um, Pammy? So did you answer the, my family has noticed my wife is depressed and is feeling down and should we tell them? Oh, tell them. I was going to say, I don't think, yeah, tell them. Yeah. Well, that's so. a great answer for telling her. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I don't, I don't, know don't think what, you answered so, the tell them. So. But I liked my answer. Um, <laughs> I like your answer for the other question. <laughs> okay. So um, I don't think, well, I don't know who family is or who you're referring to. Because my family. Tell. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, the extended family. Yeah. Well, I don't think that your sex life is anyone's business. Um, if you're working with a therapist, that's great. Um, whether it's children or parents or people you're going to see regularly at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you have to remember you can't unsay something. So once they, and by the way, everyone will know because they all talk to each other. So I would question my need to tell them that. Um, we kind of had little boundary circles around who are we closest to and those people know everything about us and then who is um, safe for most things, but we don't. And then there's the world, you know? So to me, this sounds like the very safest, safest people talking about this. And I'm not sure that telling your family is going to lead you to uh, them to feeling safe or you to feeling safe. I was going to say a couple other things. Um, I have a lot, we have a lot of clients whose 
brothers, sisters, parents find out that you have an impulse problem with sex, and then they don't want you around their kids because they're afraid that, oh, what does that mean? And that must mean sex offending. And it can also produce really uh, real problems in the family. So um, I would not tell them anything other than uh, Mary and I are really struggling with some issues. And, and you know, we, we haven't been feeling good about each other, but we're really working on it. And if you see that, you know, don't take it personally. It's about us, you know, and that's about all I would say to anybody. It isn't any of their business. If you were having trouble having an orgasm, would you go to your mom and say, you know, <laughs> so anyway, that's. Yeah, well, I, and I, and I agree, you know, cause at Christmas you may be sitting next to them, but, but it's also what I have too often heard is the divisive. It's like the family starts taking sides and, and it isn't supporting the couple or, you know, and it could be either one of you, um, uh, but it ends up being divided. Like, Oh, well, if she had only done whatever, then you wouldn't have cheated. Well, you know, or, you know, or vilifying you. It's, there's a problem. You guys are working on it. It's okay to say, you know, we're struggling. We're, we're getting professional help. We're working on it. We ask you to give us some grace at this time. Okay. By the way, um, in 90% of the cases, the kids will say, you hurt our mom. And they will stand behind mom because you did what you ever did and it hurt. So it leaves you, uh, it's very difficult as Tammy said to balance and get everyone like, leave us alone so we can work on our relationship if that's what you want to do. Because the kids are saying, I don't think you should be together or whatever it is they're saying. Or, or I had one last week where there were three kids, two of them sided with one and one sided with the other. So now the sibling, I, you know. Like now they're not to, talking to each other. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, 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 it, you know, yeah, it like, it could be a hot mess as Tammy yeah, would say. Yeah. You, you don't know where it's going to go and it just doesn't like need to be, you know, that the kids know. So, okay. Or family. Okay. Next one as a betrayed partner. Oh, I wanted you to comment on. Um, so to, um, the six thirty one. how do you deal with with being disgusted by the sex addiction husband at times it's just like sometimes I feel sick to my stomach from him touching me I don't want to be this way but I can't stop is there anything I can do and I did address it but I would like to have your um, input on that as well too well I think that you have to the, the most important thing is that you tell him but maybe not in those words you know I wouldn't say I'm disgusted with you um, because that makes it very difficult for their own self-esteem no matter what you know but I would say you know I'm feeling very uncomfortable you know, considering what's happened, you know, would you mind sleeping in the other room um, if there is another room or out on the couch or maybe with your brother for a while? You know, I need some space to work through this for myself. Um, I don't think there's anything you can do to get away from it except time and, and some therapy. But one thing that I would think about is if you have this strong response, it may have things to do with other things that have happened to you. You know, I've heard people who have been molested or abused or, mm. or neglected. And these kinds of things happen, like the cheating. And all of that comes flooding up. And now they're not just angry about that. They're angry that anyone ever betrayed them. So, you know, there's two things. One of which is you have to talk to him about how you're feeling and what you're worried about and, and what's happening between you. And the other thing is that you might want, you should probably get into some sort of support so you can look at, um, does this ring a bell from things in the past? So I don't, you probably said all that, Tammy, but I said along those lines. And I also said, it, it, like, if he's touching you, like, it's okay to say, 
you know, you need to ask me before you touch me to have that, you know, like that safety boundary for you. So, okay. So the next one we answered, so um, we're going to skip to the bottom is commitment phobia, a different issue, or is it part of sex addiction? No, you skipped one. As a betrayed partner, my main, yeah, main we, emotion we is just, intense we, anger. We did the intense anger. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, is commitment so, phobia a different issue or is part of sex addiction? Um, so sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. Um, it is a disorder about connecting with people and how we perceive those connections and how we maintain those connections. And we are uh, intimacy avoidant. Um, we have no problem having sex with 100 people, but when we get really close to people, that's when we don't have as much control, and that's when um, we can get into trouble. So um, is commitment phobia a different issue? It's more like this, I would say, that sex addicts actually, for the most part, we are able to commit, but we're not fully there. You know, we make a commitment, but we're out doing this and out doing that, and so we're half into our commitment and half not. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I think many of us sex addicts are commitment phobic as well, but commitment phobia is a much bigger issue. It's like saying, um, is depression uh, a separate issue or a part of sex addiction? Well, a lot of sex addicts are depressed, but so many people are depressed that it wouldn't be something that I would directly tie to sex addiction. And yes, many of us get in commitments and then run from them, or we have difficulty creating them. So the next question is, how can we spouses find good EMDR therapists? Many of the trained therapists that work with the trail trauma or CSATs that are working with the addict, because addicts, trust me, you know, can benefit from EMDR as well, um, are trained for that. So my first choice or for a suggestion for you would be to get a qualified therapist that already understands these issues and also does you know, EMDR, but EMDR, they have a website, emdria.org, emdria.org, that lists everyone. So, but get someone who's actually trained. There'll be some people who, you know, aren't certified and they'll have it on psychology today or whatever that they can do at EMDR. You want people, it's like all of this stuff. You want the real people, not the ones uh, that are going, oh, I can help you with that. So uh, that would be my suggestion for you. And I, I thank you, Tammy, because, uh, and I wrote Tammy's email address up there because <laughs> we do make a lot of referrals and recommendations for folks. And if that's ever helpful to you, um, we're glad to do it. Let me see, there was one other thing I wanted to say about. I, I have to tell you, when I have work people coming in and out, I get so lost, <laughs> Tammy. Okay. Um, so we've got one more question and we've got time for that one. Okay. Are you ready oh, for that? I want to say one more thing. So okay. EMDR. EMDR is not, so I, I'm going to have a few EMDR therapists who are going to probably be angry at me for me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. EMDR is a technique. Mm -hmm. It is a technique like, uh, like psychodrama or art therapy. or And there are people who are trained, for example, here at Loyola University, they do an art art therapy master's program and those people are often in facilities and programs where there's a bunch of people and they're doing art therapy on a regular basis but it's part of something larger so with emdr 
if I was a therapist who had the skill set of doing it, then I might pull it out of my uh, my toolbox to work with you if I felt it was useful. That's. But if I don't have any experience or training in the EMDR, I'm going to send you out to see someone who is trained, and then you'll still be seeing me, but maybe for a couple of weeks, you'll just be working with them, and then we will coordinate. So um, I think it's more like you can have a professional who knows it, or you can have a professional who doesn't, and then they will refer to you if they don't know what they're doing to an expert. Um, or you can write Tammy at seekingintegrity.com, and it will all get magically solved for you. It won't magically solve, but I'll do my best. Okay, so the last question, how difficult is it for an essay to overcome a 50-year habit of masturbating through fantasy? He's sober from porn and fantasy for three months now, and we have not been sexually intimate. Is there hope for us to have a restored sexual relationship? So I'm confused exactly about what the questions are. Can you maybe boil that down? Because it seems like more than one. So I, I think this is a betrayed partner who's looking for hope. Can someone who has a 50-year habit change? Can, can there be hope for them for their relationship? Well, first of all, addicts are not, addiction is not a habit. So, you know, uh, a habit is something you can stop, you can change, you can eliminate, it doesn't work for you. Um, it's not shaming, it's not embarrassing, you know. Uh, so um, to me, I'd be curious about, and I can't judge this person from here, do they masturbate two or three times a year? Do they masturbate once a month? Does it have consequences? Or are they masturbating three hours a day? You know, it really depends on how the masturbation is affecting their life. If it's something that my spouse strongly objects to, then it is affecting my life and I need to talk to them about it. And so if it would have hurt you or you would have disagreed with it all that time ago and they've hid it, hidden it from you, that sounds very addictive. Um, I was going to say something else, a 50 year habit. I'd wonder how old this person is because 50 year habit, you know, they're already maybe in their sixties, uh, something like that. And it is very hard to get from zero to a hundred when you're already, uh, um, uh, 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 we are not seniors, we're elders. So, um, you know, I often say to the guys who are 30, I'm so glad you're here at this point because it's much, you have less time to get this done if you're already older. So, um, is there hope for you out of a restored relationship? He has to be doing a lot of work. The one thing Tammy, I'm sure, would say is, does he go to 12-step meetings? Is he seeing a therapist that's trained? Are you getting the support you need? Because this is a process that what we do in healing these issues, both the addiction and also partnerships. And it really has certain steps that need to be taken. That's why we're trained in it. So I would say if you were put on the right road with the right people, absolutely. And it, it's always amazes me. And I don't know if you does you tell me when we get and we do someone who's 67 in treatment or someone who's 72 come to seeking integrity, because it makes me realize that they want to be clean inside and outside of themselves, no matter how old they are. And I really admire it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.